Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Thursday, August 31st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on it, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively use these tools in their lives. And secondarily because it also prompts comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, We would appreciate you sharing them. It makes it easier for us to live into our intention with this work when people share those things with us. 
You can share them with us by sending us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If you send us an email, we'll address your comment or question on the show, and then as time allows, send you a notice so you can look back through the archives about to the day and time when it was discussed and get the feedback. You can also call us directly at 563-999-3581. If you choose to call in, please press 1 on your phone. That will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number and let me know that you're interested in sharing something with us. And I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. So we have um, plenty of time for comments, questions, conversation. And um, let us know how we can be of service. Um, I had a, a, a little, my dad would say, a hitch in my giddy-up just then because, as I mentioned, the app... In the previous session, I introduced someone to the app, and um, this is a person who has known about the short version of the Reality Management Worksheet that I created, the five-step short version and, and the forgiveness pattern. But for whatever reason, when I told her about the app and the longer version, she didn't realize it. So we've had five or six sessions, and... Um, she didn't know about it so we were just finishing talking about it and as we did I just had the thought you know what I need to make a donation um, to the uh, Heartland Foundation in in compensation for all the benefit I get from that app it is just it's it's such a useful tool and as I've already talked about already this week the worksheets I did before the family reunion and the worksheets I did after getting some feedback from somebody that, you know, is basically using what I shared on the Internet show against me. And the benefit I get from that, the ease with which I feel able to respond to those things that's come from the many years of using that worksheet process is a priceless gift. So... Uh, they don't talk about it on a regular basis, but occasionally they'll mention that this is uh, all a labor of love on their part and it's donation-driven. So if you're getting benefit from this work and or the worksheet process itself or the app or the Internet show or the archives of the website, uh, feel free to go to whyagain.org and click the Donate button and send them some money if that's within your capability. Um, it is um, I know it's greatly appreciated by them whenever it happens and um, it is not I think it's safe to say they haven't fully adapted to the changes from to their lifestyle from their own family situation changing and uh, the coronavirus situation changing and so They are not traveling the way they used to. They are not in front of people as often as they used to be and presenting their tools for free and then allowing people to donate 
having that face-to-face stimulation. So if this is a, a body of work that's useful to you and you have the financial wherewithal, consider uh, sharing with them in a donation form, financial donation form, so that uh, they can continue to make these tools available to more and more people. And um, in lieu of anybody putting up a hand and saying they want to talk, we can go back to the questions we were reading at the um, or from the book, the uh, A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And I remember that um, I was chuckling quite a bit at, at some of these questions. Um, and one of the questions here is um, hell. How can there be a hell and is hell real? And it, it, it brought me to... to it flashed into my mind the story of a of, of a preacher, uh, an evangelical preacher, in uh, within the past twenty years, I'll say. And he um, had a big, big following at this church. He was the lead pastor, and he had the charisma, and he had the message, and he was, you know, preaching the fire and brimstone and hell and damnation and and he was the the story that he told in the interview that I saw with him was that he had his grandchild on his lap and he was in front of the television and on the television was one of those feed the starving children advertisements about some country in Africa where the poverty was so bad and the famine was striking and they were showing pictures of children who were, you know, bone thin and with flies in their nostrils and and this this very well-intentioned evangelical minister sat there with his healthy grandchild on his lap in his comfortable home And he just had this crisis moment where he called out to God, how could you let this happen? How could you do this to your, you know, your children? And the answer came to him just as clear as a bell. I'm not doing this to my children. I'm providing a a world where there's, so much food abundance or so much and it's the human beings who are doing the greed and the grift and the you know and and the politics that are keeping people like this from having enough to eat etc and it's up to to my children to help you know each other etc and in this process he came to a realization that his god his creator his life flow energy whatever you want to call it was so loving that there could not be a hell and as a result of that 
he started to have this deep realization that while so many parts of what they were teaching about Jesus' love and Jesus preaching the love model were on target, for him, it didn't make any sense anymore to preach about hell. Try to just picture what, what's going to happen when this head minister from this evangelical church, which primary stick, you know, the carrot and the stick approach, here's the carrot, here's the nice thing you can get if, you, if you're good, here's how the stick you're going to get hit with if you're bad. The primary stick is hell. And what differentiates us and the people in our congregation from other human beings is they're all going to hell if they don't accept Jesus our way, etc. Well, he had that crisis. He struggled with it for a while, and then he finally came out and told his parishioners the realization that he'd had. And he lost the church. They took the church away from him. The other ministers, you know, took over. And instantly he was without an income, he was without a job, he was without a place to live, and all because of a thought, all because of a belief. So here's the question and answer from Christian Sundberg, A Walk in the Physical. Hell. The question is, how can there be a hell or hellish experiences? Surely these exist. How can we explain this? And the answer comes back as, the unconditional love of capital S source transcends all the reality experiences of form. However, within experiences of form, whether this is in this reality or other realities, great contrast is possible. When we go, quote, far, close quotes, from our source, we can experience great fear. And where there is fear, darkness happens, as in ego, selfishness, greed, etc. Now, if I were writing this, I would add some words to that. Because we cannot go far from source, it's our essence. So I would rewrite that sentence as, when we create an experience of being far from source, we can experience great fear. And where there is fear, darkness happens. Darkness drives ego, selfishness, greed, etc., the answer goes on and says, we are powerful, creative beings. And so whether it's in this reality of physical reality or in other more thought-responsive realities, we can create hellish experiences from our fear and because of our beliefs and expectations. All of that, however, is contained within the great transcendent beingness that gives rise to it all. In other words, the unconditional love is first. 
And then within that love, we're given the opportunity to experience environments of stark contrast in this and other reality systems, some of which can be hellish. And we're given the power to do that until we evolve past fear and expand the love and joy in appropriate measure. Now, again, I wouldn't recommend giving a paragraph like this to somebody who's down there in Florida right now who's just lost their home and then there's flooding and and saying, you know, it's all good. Because at that level of reality, in that level of what Guy Finley would call that level of scale, there are real needs needs for physical comfort, needs for shelter, needs for food. And yet, each of us is free in each of those situations to choose our own interpretation, which will dramatically change, create, shape, our experience of life in that moment. The example I like to give is that about 10 years ago, there was a tornado that went through a town in central Indiana, or Illinois, where I have a friend living. And so I was very curious about this and was watching the news stories when they let people back into the neighborhood. And the camera crew and the reporter ran up to this family that was standing by the street lined up with the driveway to the house they used to have. And at the far end of the driveway was a hole in the ground filled with all the rubble, their basement just full of the rubble. The house had been leveled. And the reporter went up to them and asked, you know, all excited, you know, like, oh, how tragic is this? And the mother and father there said, oh, we're just so relieved. We're just so grateful to God. Everyone's safe. That's just stuff that can be replaced. And the reporter tried to prompt them for you but didn't you lose irreplaceable things and isn't this a tragedy and they said oh no we're just so 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 grateful to god that everything's fine etc so the reporter turns and makes a beeline down the, the sidewalk to the next house which is the same setup it's a house that's been completely leveled all that's left is the hole in the ground that was the basement that's full of the rubble and ask those people and they're into the wailing and gnashing of teeth about all of the photos that have been lost that can't be replaced and all the why is this happening to us and and that's where the news report spent the rest of their 90 seconds and i use that you can look for and use those situations watch people who've been through the same thing Look for, understand, what's the interpretation that they're choosing and placing on those events. Understand that the thought pattern in those interpretations that they pour their mind energy into, that's the process that creates their experience and any emotions they experience. And for anybody who's willing to question what is this process I've been taught, 
by my culture, by my family. The process of he's making me angry, she's hurting my feelings. That person is scaring me. That situation is tragic. That situation is lovely. These things outside of me cause my emotions. Is that viable when I step back and observe it? Do the actual data experiences of my life prove that out? When I'm with a group of 15 people and something happens and three or four people get upset and most of the people are ignoring what happened and four or five people decide to try and calm down the ones who are upset, are they really upset about what happened? The answer's got to be no, because if, they, if the thing that happened caused the upset, everybody who experienced it would have the same flavor and same level of upset. So this is there for us to observe more and more at deeply experiential levels. The core of this work for me is if I'm experiencing an emotion, I am creating that emotion. And if I don't like it, I can I can learn with the proper tools and the application and the skill building with those tools, I can learn to shift the experience of emotion to something I prefer. I can also learn to meet the emotion head on, breathe and soften, let it move through me, and use it as an alarm system or an information system to give me better guidance through my life. So, just a quick reminder, 563-999-3581. If anything we're saying rings a bell, strikes a chord, triggers something, and you want to respond, please do so. Just call that number and press 1 on your phone. The next question in this list is, is hell real? And the answer comes back as, Temporary, hellish reality experiences can happen both in other non-physical realities and also here on Earth. The highly constraining Earth experience is sometimes perceived as hell itself, not because it's fundamentally charged, but because of the meanings that incarnate consciousness has placed upon it and then brought into it. Non-physical environments are often thought responsive and they will instantly reflect the physical, personal nature. I read that wrong. The personal nature and beliefs of the experiencer in an extremely real way. Also, sometimes a, quote, hell, close quote, is experienced as a, quote, wake-up call, close quotes as a way to get someone's attention and show them that they are on a path of fear or selfishness. And that's in line with what we suggest people start doing for themselves in this work. As you have a negative emotional state arise, take a breath, 
hold it at the top, slowly exhale down, turn the focus of your awareness inside yourself where you're feeling the emotional state. And ask yourself, how am I creating this emotion? Ask yourself, what am I making this situation mean? Ask yourself, what information does this emotional state bring to me about how my thought process, my choice of interpretation, my focus or my conclusions are off the mark right now? If I choose to use any emotional state I do not prefer as an alarm system, I exponentially improve the quality of my life. I use the information that resonates through my system rather than blaming it on somebody else or its existence on someone else. And I'm, I'm able to then use it as a feedback system that tells me something about what I'm focusing on or something about how I've chosen to interpret that that I'm focusing on is not in alignment with the truth, the actuality of my life and my essence and the loving nature of life moving in, through, as, and around me. The next paragraph in this answer reads, none of those hellish experiences are fundamental, meaning they're not absolutely true at their core. The fundamental beingness that gives rise to all of experience is love and joy and freedom. It ventures from that state into discrete experience, even what may end up being a potentially hellish experience. It does so ultimately for the sake of creativity, joy, and love. Non-fundamental hellish experiences may occur as we wield fear-based intent, in other words, intent that reflects the illusion of separation, but they do not last because they are not fundamentally real. Just as the earth environment is not fundamentally real, the experience is real, but the beingness having the experience is more real. And that beingness is always one of love, freedom, and joy. I wonder sometimes when I read something like that, if it makes any sense at all to other people that hear it. Because I've been churning through various books like this over and over again for so many years that the concepts are, are a little bit more familiar to me now than they were five years ago or 35 years ago when I first started digging deeper into these things and repeating them and having discussions with people about them. What is the, what is the experience of beingness? Because the word itself doesn't mean anything. I just flashed on a time when I was in my undergrad school and there was a philosophy professor who had written the book for the class 
and he had a lecture on the 17 or 13, I forget how many different levels of reality. And he would hold up a pen and he would try and talk to us as undergraduate students, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old students, about the seven or more levels of reality of the pen. And I'm just telling you right now, it brings a chuckle to my my mind. We had no concept what he was talking about. And probably 10 or 15 years after college, when I was reading a book, his lecture came back to me, and it started to make sense in a whole new way. But that was after like another 10 or 15 years of reading books about spirituality and philosophy and psychology and and on and on and on. So the next question in this list is, is hell a place? And the answer comes back as, extreme vibrational distance from source, which is very roughly synonymous with living in fear, that in itself is hell. And that can happen in both our reality systems and in others. Thought responsive realities can become extremely hellish when one's fear is allowed to run wild. But ultimately, fear has no true power. The true power is capital L, love, or the energy of creation itself, or beingness, or the one consciousness. All these words are pointing toward the same experience. It is of great benefit to remember our true power and to shine rather than to live in fear. It is of great benefit to remember our true power, which can never be chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken in any way. Your true essence, your complete safety in each moment, has never been chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken in any way. You have the capacity You're living in these confined restraints that we call the physical realm. So you have experiences as less than that total safety, that absolute love, that absolute joy, that absolute freedom. It's just a temporary experience. It's not your true essence. It's not a death sentence. It's not dooming you to hell for all eternity. It is an experience related to the the belief system and the mind energy you pour into that belief system. The next question is, is there such a thing as eternal punishment? And the answer comes back very clearly with two letters and a period. No. And then by way of explanation, there are some other words on this page that I'll share with you. The very idea of external punishment is not one of unconditional love. It is an earthly, fear-based idea. Eternal punishment is an idea we came up with that represents the extreme imagined end of a perceived 
duality spectrum. It is the extreme of what our imagination can concoct as a result of our real experiences of pain and suffering that happen here on Earth. Even if it seems to last for a long time, actual suffering is always finite. It's time-limited. It's relatively short compared to the essence of experience of life itself, energy itself, consciousness itself. Because of physical constraints, because of separation and fear that give rise to suffering are not fundamental to your being, suffering always ends. Suffering is far shorter than the love, the joy, and the freedom that's fundamental to true beingness. While non-fundamental, hellish experiences happen when fear-based intent is wielded, including here on Earth. While that happens, still the deeper fundamental truth is always love, joy, freedom, and unity. The actuality of our existence is that we are one with everything. There are these Facebook posts that people make that say, listen, the fact is our science is telling us that when you choose a thought, it affects the farthest galaxies, the vibration, because of quantum entanglement. This is one of the reasons that A Course in Miracles has lessons that ask us to choose again. And it is a frequent, common theme in these deeper spiritual teachings that choice is primary. As I say that, I remember a time I was giving a talk at a Unity Church and they asked me to talk on the way of mastery because they know I led a group I led a group on that etc and so I decided to have the theme of the talk be choice and I thought oh boy now I've got my work cut out for me I've got to go through here and find some some ways that the text actually refers to choice and then somebody said why don't you just search it through, through Kindle search for those words And so I went just from the first book of The Way of Mastery, The Way of the Heart, and I searched for the word choice and chooses, and there were over 100 references, maybe 100 and almost 200, I forget the exact number now, but I I was gobsmacked by the number of references. And then, then I just started to realize, yeah, it's all about choice. The interpretation I choose and place on the life events I experience is what creates my experience of that life event or the flow of life through me in the moment. The next question in this list reads, is there punishment in the afterlife at all? So the last question was, is there anything as such as eternal punishment? 
that answer was very quickly no. The next question is, is there punishment in the afterlife at all? Just a little bit here and there. Is there that purgatory thing? Is there etc.? Here's the answer that comes back. We are all completely and totally responsible for every single choice, thought, action, and intent. I'm just going to read that again since it is so pivotal to the core of this work. And please watch your mind if it wants to go to some kind of blame or guilt thought. This, this is intended to clarify the power, the authority, this, the personal agency that each and every one of us have. This is that free will idea. This is not about you brought it on yourself and you're to blame and you're a guilty person. This is about agency, personal agency, and the ability to choose again. Here's the statement. We are all completely and totally responsible for every single choice, thought, action, and intent, period. It goes on and says, Our past choices, thoughts, actions, and intents can lead us into various experiences, whether in this world or in another. And in some of those experiences, they may be extremely painful or dark. And the enduring truth that transcends that entire process is unconditional love. And that love is completely and totally accepting and understanding. Something about reading in that last question and answer. Made me flash very strongly on the way of mastery. And the way of mastery in lessons eight and nine talk about this kind of a process. In lesson eight, it talks about how every thought you choose. creates out, you know, sends out ripples, creates a ripple, has an effect. As a matter of fact, Lesson 8 in the Way of Mastery is titled Dropping Pebbles into the Pool of Awareness. And the lesson reads, As always, I come forth as your equal to abide with you, to walk with you, to communicate with you from that mind, capital M mind, and that heart, capital H heart, which we eternally share as one. That mind which is alone, the reality of our shared existence. As always, I come forth in joy and also with humility, for I cannot join with anyone unless they provide the space within their consciousness and bid me to enter within. 
Therefore, understand well that when I come to abide with you, I come with a humility born of the recognition of the great mystery that has given you your existence. That mystery I have called Abba, or Father. Why do I call it that? Because you've not come forth from some mechanical, unthinking force. You have come forth from pure intelligence. You have come forth from pure love. You have come forth from a source beyond all comprehension. You have come forth from the radiance of a light so bright that the world cannot see it or contain it. You have come forth from that which which alone is eternally real. Because you have come forth from it, you are one with it always. I'm hopeful, sidebar, I'm hopeful that you can hear some similarities, if not an identical nature to the message being given here, as in the walk in the physical book. This lesson, Lesson 8 in Way of Mastery reads, this means that you abide in a relationship that is created to creator, offspring or child to parent, a relationship that is so intimate, a bond that is so deep that it cannot be broken at any time. As a wave that arises from an ocean cannot be separated from the ocean itself, so too in each and every moment of your experience, you abide in a union that is so powerful, so mysterious, so intimate and immediate that mind, lowercase m, mind, cannot comprehend it. This union connects you as the created with the mystery beyond comprehension that contains every drop of wisdom and intelligence necessary to create consciousness itself. Consciousness, the power to be aware, the power to choose is what you truly are. So here's one of those, you know, many, 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 many references to the word choose in the way of mastery in this first book and the way of the heart. You are connected to the power to be aware and the power to choose. That is what you truly are. If this source, this mystery, can birth this fundamental aspect of creation, doesn't it deserve to be called something intimate, like Abba or Father? Which in the ancient language means that which creates like unto itself? Can you then begin to feel, can you begin to know, not just as an intellectual idea, but as a lived reality, a knowingness, that if you are aware in this very moment, it is because you are one with the source of all creation and you cannot be separated from it in any way or at any time. 
Fear, as we have said many times, is like a contraction. Again, if you were, were to imagine a wave arising from the ocean and then going into contraction because it thinks it's separated from its source, that contraction literally squeezes the life, the very flowing waters out of the wave. Could that wave possibly continue when its very life force has been squeezed from it? Does it not then become mere drops of water fading from view only to dissolve back into the ocean itself? Its radiance is lost, never to be seen again. Well, if it were possible for the wave of your consciousness to truly have its life force squeezed out of it, you too would fade away as droplets return into the ocean, never to be remembered or seen again. Listen and listen well. That would be death. However, in reality, you are alive always even when you have identified yourself with the great constriction that fear is, your fears have never been able to squeeze out of you the great life force, the great reality, and the great gift of awareness. You have, therefore, never ceased to be. There has never been a time that you have not existed, and there will never be a time when you will cease to be. You are, therefore, very much like a wave that has begun to arise out of an unseen ocean. And as it gains momentum, it moves across the surface of the planet. Like the wave, you are in continual motion. Moving where? Moving into a forever extension of your awareness of itself. Into a forever extension of whatever you choose to pick up along the way and take as a part of yourself into a forever extension that will carry you to the experience or the fruits of the very thoughts you have held on to as your own. In other words, you get to choose which thoughts are you going to hold on to and value, which beliefs which interpretations of life events are going to seem most useful to you. You make them real for you. Therefore, understand well, right now in this lived moment, wherever you are, whatever you are experiencing, all that you see, all that you feel, all that you know, all that you seek to avoid and all the things that you value and devalue, all things are contained within your awareness. For if they are not found there, they do not exist for you. Therefore, look upon that which resides within your awareness, within your consciousness. What are the things that you know that you know? What are the things that you would avoid? What are the feelings that you have not explored? What are the objects, the people, the places, the values that you strive for that seem to thrill even the cells of your body? What is the body itself, if not that which arises within your awareness? 
Look at the planet around you. Look at the very object in your room. Look at every thought you choose to think. Look at the perceptions and ideas that you defend so vociferously. Look at the thoughts and the feelings of others that you use to create a cringing feeling within yourself and you wish to withdraw from them. These things abide within you like the very power or life force of the wave that has arisen from the ocean. All these things you've picked up along the way and the way has been very long and varied indeed. If you can imagine never ceasing to exist, it means that you have been as a wave of awareness passing through every time frame, every planetary system, and every dimension of creation. Along the way, one thing has remained constant. You have been in constant relationship with all of the ocean. Oh yes, you may select out a few people, a few objects, a planet, a dimension, and focus all of your attention there. Attention is nothing more than the decision of what you're going to use the power of your awareness to focus on. It seems that you have excluded everything else. But that is like an optical delusion of consciousness. Just like what Einstein says, if you think you're separate or separated from anyone or anything, you're living in an optical delusion. The way of Mastery Lesson 8 goes on and reads, while it was very true that you have selected out aspects of creation to focus your attention on, yet underneath, in the depths of the wave that is unseen by the physical eye, unseen by your conscious awareness or your day-to-day -day mind, you have remained in perfect communion with all of creation. You are, therefore, in relationship with all created things, and there is communication that occurs without ceasing. Imagine being able to look into the air of your planet and to literally see radio waves television waves, and all of the electrical waves that keep bouncing back and forth across your planet. That is what you swim in daily, and your consciousness pervades this field of vibrations. The next heading is, you only experience what you have chosen to create. And the lesson continues. You are the one who selects out what you are going to be aware of, what you are calling into your lived experience. You select what is going to make an imprint upon you. Imagine then a pool of clear, still water. Into it you drop a solitary pebble. From the pe pebble there radiate waves. This is what is occurring constantly in your field of awareness. As you have attracted to yourselves certain persons, places, things, objects, and above all, thoughts, beliefs, and perceptions, you have dropped them like pebbles into the still clear pool of your vast 
and eternal awareness. What you experience are the effects or the ripples of these pebbles. They literally join with the other ripples that you have created. And as these ripples move out and touch one another and come back to you, this is the field of creation that literally makes up your physical third-dimensional reality. You are, therefore, never experiencing anything except what you have chosen to create through your selection of the pebbles that you've dropped into the field of your awareness. You literally never experience a solitary thing. You do not experience objects. What you experience is the effect of a thought or a belief in objects. You never experience another person, for they also are made up of a web of vibrations. You could say that each person, each object, is really a field of relationships, unique and seemingly different from you but a web of relationships nonetheless. For what child can be separated from their parents or from their cultural background or from their unique experiences that they had as they interacted with the webs of relationships that have been around them since the moment of their conception? What kitten can be singled out from its matrix of its mother and father? What leaf on a tree is separate from the temperature of the air or the quality of the water or the nutrients that come to it from the very soil of the earth? Everything is a web of relationship. All webs are in relationship with all other webs. And they become grander and grander and grander, ad infinitum. You are a web of relationships out of which you have selected certain pebbles. Whether they be thoughts or perceptions or experiences, you have dropped them into the still clear pool of your awareness in order to create even more ripples. And then you have chosen which ones will have the greatest value for you. These you lock into your being and they become your emotional field. The emotional field is the first level of crystallization of the body. From the emotional field, a further crystallization creates the experience and the appearance of a physical form. It is that which you push around the planet in your very temporary third dimensional form of attention. While all around you, just beneath the level of your conscious daily awareness, you remain in communication with all webs of relationship throughout all dimensions of creation. It is for this reason that an inspiring thought can come suddenly to you and penetrate your daily awareness, and you wonder, wow, where did that come from? Or suddenly, a picture appears in your mind. It could be of anything, 
a man and a woman making love, a man and a man making love, a child playing in the park, a dolphin, or a picture of conflict or war. Where did it come from? Because you live in perfect communion, and you are like a grand field of energy in which all webs of relationship are reverberating constantly, you actually have access to the complete entirety of creation. And this entirety of creation is not limited to what is occurring now, as you understand time. You have available to yourself everything which you would call past and future. These things are available to you at all times. There is not one of you who's not experienced this for yourself. Perhaps you suddenly thought of a friend, and then the telephone rang, and you knew it was that friend. Well, this makes no sense in your causal third-dimensional plane, but because underneath, even though your conscious mind was busy making breakfast and wondering about which socks to buy and sell, or stocks to buy or sell, or which perfume to put on the body, even though that was happening, you remain in perfect communion. It is why when there's a deep resonance between friends separated by thousands of miles, all of a sudden you know when they need you to call them. You feel a sense of concern. Maybe they just stub their toe, but you pick up the vibration. You all have lived this. You all know this. There's no secret about it. What I would seek then to attract your attention to is one of the pebbles that has been dropped into the field of your awareness, which is generally true for virtually everyone who's involved in this third dimensional experience called physicality. Imagine a sentence being dropped from a vast height, picking up speed until it strikes the still clear surface of the pool of your awareness and it sends a ripple out, creating a vibration through you. The sentence is simply this, quote, It is not possible for me to have complete mastery over which pebbles are dropped into my awareness, for I am at the mercy of the vibrational field set up by the ripples of all the thoughts and webs of relationship in which I constantly swim. That perception is absolutely true as long as you choose to believe it. That perception is also absolutely laughable and powerless as soon as you choose to acknowledge that this is so. So we'll stop there since uh, we're just about at the end of our time and we'll pick up again tomorrow. Thank you all for listening and letting me bridge between the walk in the physical questions about hell and punishment and the way of mastery, lesson eight and nine. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. Welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're quite welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show.
Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Thursday, August the 31st, 2023. Hard to believe August is gone. Um, we welcome you to the show. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we're making uh, still making a few changes on the website. We've added more pictures. We've added a new article about the uh, healing of the ground. And we invite you to go out and look around, look at the pictures of our gardens. We've got those all out online. We actually, well, this morning we planted our fall crop in the front garden, so that one, I don't have those pictures up yet, but it's coming along very nicely, and we appreciate you being part of it with us. If you have any questions about the garden, let us know. We'd be glad to give you some tips on what we did and what we found out, and in the meantime, we are here to process forgiveness, and so if you have a question, if you've been doing the worksheet and you've gotten stuck, I haven't. I went out and looked on the emails this morning and I don't have any questions, but putting the tools to work in your life. Give Michael a moment to dial in here and just say again, our number is 563-999-3581 and press 1. And welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Once again, to continue this conversation, this learning experience about first century Aramaic forgiveness. Delighted that you get to be a part of it and that you get to teach us as we learn on deeper and deeper levels the truth of who we are as human beings and the willingness to embrace rather than doing the standard game of projection and blaming somebody else for what's going on inside of us. It's uh, an awesome opportunity to, in life, it's like, you know, what an opportunity to actually own the perceptual constructs of our own mind, own the energies that are moving within us rather than make pictures out of other people and pretend that other people are the cause of what's going on inside of us. Remembering that perception is a construct, a series of pictures and sensations that are generated by the mind, and the ones that come up, though they, we insist they must tell us about somebody else, are always telling us about ourselves especially when there's an emotional energy attached to it, connected to it. So emotions are also constructs, oftentimes passed from generation to generation. And our objective here is to learn to own those constructs of our minds and recognizing how the constructs are generated, removing the ones that never belonged within our minds in the first place. 
which means literally facing all forms of hostility or fear and removing them from our minds. The removal process is called forgiveness. And as I choose to own and remove those constructs, it's like, you know, for most people, body, minds, generational patterns, genes filled with hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, drama, trauma, blame, are like a vase filled with dirty water. What do you do if you want to change it? Well, you've got to start to extract some of the water. You can't extract what you can't own. Therefore, you've got to take responsibility for it. And keep pouring in clean, clear water. And the most reliable way that I've found, the most consistent, persistent way that I've found to address those things is to apply the first century tool of forgiveness. That's how it works. That's what it's designed for. The removal of all forms of hostility or fear. What would life be like if we were totally and completely restored to the simple presence of love instead of who knows, whatever, degrading thoughts about ourselves, about others. What would it look like if everybody in the world woke up tomorrow morning and said, oh, love is my true nature. I'm going to stop pretending that I express as other than love because of what somebody else does and own what goes on in my own mind. I'm going to literally forgive everything unlike love and live as we're designed to live as human beings. It's the cause of all the seemingly unresolvable pain, anger, and suffering. Well, the one thing that perpetuates it is blame. When I think or speak as though something inside of me is caused by something going on outside of me that I'm in blame. That's the way to make sure and guarantee that you keep it. Contrary to what the world generally presents today as forgiveness, I'm going to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. The Aramaic tool of forgiveness is a tool that removes literally any form of suffering, pain, fear, and or hostility from within and empowers one to wake up to the joy of who we really are. When one implies forgiveness, they're freed of the repeated playing out of unconsciously driven abuses of the generations which otherwise control, especially when we're stressed, 
each individual's perceptions, decisions, and behaviors. Uh, being controlled by the unconscious dynamics in the ancient teaching was laid out in that parable about those who were lost in the desert for 40 years, supposedly lost in a hot sandy place, about 35 square mile area, for 40 years. They really were that lost in that small an area? Do you think it was really about being lost in a hot sandy place? I would offer that the desert is a code word for the unconscious. The old generation, the root of that word generation in the Latin is genari, which means cause. When they said to get out of the desert, the old generation has to die off. They were talking about old physical physical bodies dying. They were saying the unconscious causes of aberrant behavior, of pain, of trauma, need to be faced, owned, and removed. Until one is free of the repeated patterns of their generations, they're lost in the desert again. So when you start approaching this from several different disciplines, from science, from spiritual psychology, from brain-mind science, genetics, epigenetics, physiology, and then you add in the first century Aramaic understanding, it makes a really crisp, clear picture of the human dilemma and the how-to of resolving the seemingly, seemingly uncontrollable unconscious expressions resolvable. You know, there's a story that uh, we shared. It's been a while since we've talked about it, so it might be an appropriate time to bring it into the the fray. Imagine you're drinking coffee and somebody bumps your arm. The coffee spills. So you say to the person's coffee spill. Well, why did the coffee spill? Now, the spill obviously occurred because of the bump on the arm. But the reason for coffee being all over everything is because there was coffee in the cup. When you ferret it out, that you spilled and what you spilled are totally different matters. But the mind tends to blend them into one and get stuck in your conclusions like the logical conclusion is I spilled my coffee because you bumped my arm. No, you didn't spill your coffee because I bumped your arm. You spilled your coffee because it was coffee in the cup. If there had been tea in the cup, you spilled tea. You put in orange juice, you spilled orange juice. You know, the mess you had to clean up wouldn't have been coffee. Yes, the spill had to do with what was in the cup, the content. But when you start to approach it with a really discerning mind, you see that the spill and the content are not one and the same. And recognize that it's inevitable that life bumps and squeezes us, each of us, and whatever content we're holding within comes out again and again, oftentimes, sadly, against our own will and choice. So then the question becomes, what's in my cup? 
When under stress, what seeps into awareness and oozes out of me? Love, joy, aliveness, enthusiasm, gratitude, serenity? And if it isn't, do I have somebody else to blame for it? Or can I grow up and say, oh, look what's coming out of my cup? Because if it's the disease states of fear, frustration, rage, sarcasm, put-downs, and attack, I'd offer that's all self-inflicted. If those things are in one's cup, they're there because we've accepted them and chosen them. Or maybe not chosen, but decided on having those energetic patterns. There's an interesting story in... uh, book of Thomas where Yeshua you know he's being attacked by the Pharisees and some of the disciples basically say to him you know why don't you just suck it to him why don't you give him back some of their own mess and Yeshua responds and he says I have none of that in my store what's in your store well when you're squeezed you can tell what's in your store And long ago, for for most people, far beneath recall, somewhere in the past, perhaps even in our genes, destructive decisions were made. Content was installed. Interaction with the power person reinforced and played out those things. And it's often the power person dynamic that sets the stage for what comes up and out when we're squeezed. Remember that a power person is someone in our lives who, at a given moment, was not functioning as love, had more control over our lives than we did. And if we perceived the circumstance was physical, mental, emotional, or psychological survival, then a power person dynamic was instilled in the mind that will tend to control our whole lives until we resolve that dynamic. If you've been abandoned, attacked, victimized, verbally, physically, sexually abused, The voices and behaviors that perpetrated the offenses will attempt to speak through you as your voice. An abusive parent tends to raise an abusive child. The abusive father tends to raise an abusive son The daughter of a degrading, critical parent has difficulty responding to stress with something other than degrading criticism. And when under under stress, those dynamics will tend to control perception, the emotions, the thoughts, the decisions, the behaviors. And how often after you've said something, you say, oh, I wish I'd never said that. When squeezed, we get a chance to look at what's in there. And as we've shared before, under the influence of the power person, it's only three behaviors until that dynamic's faced in the light of truth, resolved and healed. 
which of the three behaviors runs the mind in any given moment will be controlled by the level of stress we're under. And through unconsciously motivated behaviors, each new generation will tend to pick up on and be controlled by the good old family feeling. And each generation is controlled by the inherited genetic influences that were stimulated into activity by the modeling provided by whomever the power person was at the moment. A little known fact is that stress is the key factor in determining which level of behavior is active in controlling the mind. And all stress is internally created. All stress is created by goals, not by events. Now it appears to the uneducated observer the events push up against us and that determines how hard life is squeezing us. But if you observe carefully, the truth is, if you have no goals regarding a particular event, there will be no stress involved in experiencing that event. It will just be something that happened. You know, I remember when, you know, Junior did a particular behavior and Dad just sat there and smiled. Why did Mom go off the rails? Because of Junior's behavior? Or because the aberrant behavior was resonated to activity by Junior's actions when Junior violated a goal? That was linked to that behavior we called berserk. Dad had no such goal, no such linkage. Hench was able to just smile a response to what seemed to cause Mom a great deal of pain. But it didn't cause Mom a great deal of pain. The pain was internal. Junior violating the goal just resonated what was already inside, what was there to be squeezed out. And, of course, having children is like having your unconscious mind hanging out in true living color and Dolby sound. If you manage your goals, you manage your mind. Refuse to manage your mind, and this generational content will manage your life for you. And it probably won't be pretty or fulfilling. So the three behaviors, when there's low or no stress, we'll tend to do whatever we did to get along with our power person. As stress starts to build, we'll shift into doing whatever we did to resist and survive with our power person. And when ultra-stressed, the mind will counsel us to do whatever our power person did to us that we hated the most. So when life squeezes us, we get to look at the power person dynamic, what we're full of. Most will lie to themselves and engage in a false narrative that they are only steeped in or exuding rage or viciousness or sadness or fear or criticism or condemnation or victimhood or depression, whatever it is, that they're only experiencing that because they've been squeezed. 
They insist that the squeeze was the cause when in truth the squeeze was only the trigger. Pretending that what comes up in us in the way of words, feelings, and behaviors is caused, actually caused by the squeeze rather than the squeeze revealing content that's already there, one hides from themselves the opportunity to heal, to remove the pained underpinnings of their repeated disturbed states. And we're here to support the confrontation of and the healing of every disturbed state of every mind, heart, and being on the planet, ultimately. The mind that functions in denial tends to overlay events with content and blurs this distinction. Denial is the big key. And denial, as we said before, is the act of thinking or speaking as though something outside of us is the cause of what's moving inside of us. So when one lives in denial, the events in a person's life and the content aroused by those events are confused and the mind tricks us into thinking that events cause the content rather than realizing that they only reveal the content. And the typical language for one caught in this error are always made up of statements like, you made me, you hurt me, you frightened me, you really have a problem. But the question always remains, if they're the one with the problem, why am I the one with the pain? What, what work do I have to do? Am I willing to do that work, or am I going to continuously put off doing that work by pretending that somebody else is the problem in my life? If they are the one with the problem, why am I the one with the pain? Is it time to grow into adulthood and actually go, hmm, you know, that just brought some pain up for me. I think instead of blaming you, I think I'll own my pain. I think I'll do some work here. Obviously, if they were the one with the problem, they'd be the one with the pain. If I have pain... And I think it's somebody else's problems. Perhaps I have a problem that I'm hiding from myself. And that's what we describe as unconsciousness. Hiding something from myself to the point where I lose awareness of it is called dissociation. Again, hiding something from myself to the point where I lose awareness of it is called dissociation. So how do we create this dissociation? Well, the simple act of thinking or speaking is of something outside is what's causing this energy to move in me. Or pardon me, I should say, to be more correct, is the cause of this energy which is moving in me. 
Living in denial means we dissociate from the real cause of the upset, hiding the content of our own minds, and refuse to allow that content to enter conscious awareness. And the result of this error is destructive blame. And blame is the act of putting responsibility outside of ourselves for content that belongs to us, refusing to own it, and staying stuck in the air of thinking others have to change in order for us to be happy. When one lives in denial and blame, life becomes infinitely more complex. Because blame brings along its brothers, fear and hostility and a whole host of life-destroying emotions. The father of hostility, desire. The desire to anesthetize the pain whose cause appears to be outside of us, but is really within. And Miss Jeannie just told me that we have somebody with a hand up, so let's say hello to our caller. We actually have two hands up. The first one was oh, awesome. Great. 610. You're on the air. Hey. Well, Welcome, I have a couple lady. of things. I, I just went to the hand surgeon uh, because my hand, there are some problems with the surgery. And um, one thing he said is this hand needs heat. And I told him about the Avacyn and he looked it up. <laughs> he said, I haven't heard of this. So... I've got this, you know, hand surgeon and physical therapist having a look at the Avacyn. We'll see what happens. But I told him what I'd been doing, and he said, sounds good. Keep doing it. (laughs) Well, and remember that you don't have to put the the hand that's injured into the Avacyn in order for it to get the heat treatment. You know, within 10 minutes... The other hand is getting its heat without it. Now, if you're if the hand that's had the surgery can actually go in the machine and handle the pressure of it, great. But if not, you yep. still get the heat treatment if that's what he wants on it. And it it's heat delivered from the inside. It's going to be a whole lot more efficient than heat that's delivered from the outside. Oh, great. Yeah. I've been able to put that hand in it. It's healed, externally healed, but there are some, anyway, some... I'm back in a splint for a while, but he said, take the splint off and put it in that thing. So, and otherwise, heat is good. Yeah. So I I have something I want to work on, but I thought maybe you ought to take the other caller because this might take a while. Well, here we are, and the other caller might take a while as well, and so we're with you, (laughs) and that's kind of your order of things. So go for it. All right. Well, I would love to have, I've been doing wake-up sheets on our Michael, and I want to, I want to, I want to say I want to love him, but I know we don't love anybody. So I'm holding a space of love, and that's, I can do that. There, there have been multiple problems. He's, he's a hurt person. You know, he needs a lot of financial and other kinds of support, emotional. He has no friends, no family. He has an ex-wife actually probably lives within 10 blocks of here, and he won't even tell me who she is. And I said, if something happened to you, 
we'd want to contact her. Oh, no, I, they don't need to know. He has a, two brothers that he doesn't want even any news sent to them. So there are huge family things. And he won't, he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't seem concerned. He just says, they don't get me. I was the black sheep of the family and they don't want me around. And Of course, I think it's more like he doesn't want them around. But in any case, I had this thought, which is kind of crazy, but Jeannie and you and I talked about this ages ago. We were going to have a third child until we found out she was a Downs child. And she wouldn't have lived anyway. But the fact is, we didn't welcome her. And I'm thinking, maybe this is my chance to make up for that in some way. To welcome this person who needs more support than we feel as if we can emotionally always give. And he's got financial problems too that are weighing on us and we are taking care of multiple people several family members three of the four grandchildren three of the five grandchildren needing college tuitions and housing and food a lot of financial pressure and this is a man who is his beat-up car out in front, he got two tickets. I didn't see them, but it's been sitting there too long, and the police stopped by, and I gave him the tickets, and he said, I can't pay for these. And he's he's very passive, so he's not working. He's just gone to a little job that I got for him, one job every other week playing at an old people's home, playing guitar and singing, and he does a very nice job. Um, but Tim is now having to drive him around because we've loaned my car to a refugee who's... That's another story. So on so- several levels, we're feeling a little overwhelmed, but I thought it would be so much easier if I felt at least really fondly toward this person. As it is, I have to do wake-up sheets and journal writing to stay holding a loving space. And yet, putting him out now with things in the world the way they are and winter coming, it's just out of the question. We're not going to do that. So Tim and I both asked ourselves, are we helping this guy or are we hurting him? Are we enabling him or what? We don't know. It seems like at least a combination. So I'd love to hear your take on any, any suggestions you might make about that. Well, it what I hear is that what you've got going is an exchange, and is the exchange balanced? Are you? I, I hear that perhaps there's some thoughts that you're being being treated unfairly, and if so, then two things that you know you might want to to look at is one. Is that a projection being treated unfairly? Is that, you know, how does it look like your life to be treated unfairly? Is that an old reality for you? And is that coming up for okay. healing? Then if, if it is, mm-hmm. then I'd be doing some work around being treated unfairly. And then the second component would be if it's a fact that you're being treated unfairly, then 
what communication has to happen between you to clean that up. You know, I mean, does there need to be more input from his side? What what needs to happen in order to to have you once you've cleaned up any component you have that's an issue you bring to the party that needs healing, once you've done that, mm-hmm. then what communication needs to occur in order for fairness to happen? You know, just straight up honest communication. You know, gee, I, I understand you can't pay for those two tickets, but I don't want to have to pay for everything you happen to incur in your life. And, you know, you go out and get careless and incur more. I don't want to be obligated to that. So I'll be happy to take care of those two tickets. But here's what I would like in exchange and, you know, make sure that there's fairness. And I certainly understand your compassion and your your uh, willingness to um, shelter him, especially with, as you say, with mm-hmm. winter coming. And so that you know, I'd see those two components. What fits? Where where are the issues? Is there a fair exchange happening, and/or is there something? Is there a reality coming up for you that could really use some healing in this regard? That's a great question. That is really good. He has been helping more, but he has a bad back, and he now is wearing a back brace and he can't continue to do the what he's been doing which is a little scary to me and i know that's i'm making i'm blaming him for causing scare but it seems as if his needs are escalating and his abilities are shrinking for legitimate reasons but I think we're dealing with a person who's partially, he's using a cane now. Uh, it's hard for him to walk any distance. He's very out of shape. Going up and down stairs is hard for him. And he's, <clears throat> so I'm thinking what, I'm, I'm projecting into the future too. Are we taking care of somebody more than we're taking care of my sister and my grandboys and, um, there's this refugee at church and there's another refugee and we're trying to watch out for them and I'm get, getting in a little too deep, I guess. But the need in the world seems so great that I'm right. always just weighing one thing. Can how, I was thinking of Jesus too. He didn't have a place to live, uh, so he didn't have to offer anybody a place to live. But on the other hand, he didn't have a place to live and he did go off and rest. Sometimes he just said, "I got to get out of here and climb into the mountain." Right. <laughs> Need an intermission. <laughs> yeah, intermission. Right. So. So I'd ask another question. Wonderful suggestion. Yeah. So another question I would ask is: Is it fear coming up for you, or is it reasoned concern? If it's fear, then I would suggest there's a place for you to do some forgiveness to clean that up, and. If it's reasoned concern, you know, that's a reasonable thing to do, to be, to have concern and to do things in a way that make them doable, reasonable, and manageable. And, you know, if it's actual fear coming up in you, you know, how does fear look like your life? Is that some, some worksheet material for you to clean up fear? And then get to the point, is it reasonable for me to have concern? And concern might look like, well, you know, this man has disabilities and I'm seeing them become more and more impactful and we certainly can't take responsibility for him 
in a disabled state. So maybe your reasoned concern, if that's what it is, uh, is inform you that it's time for him to get in touch with state resources and or, you know, see if there are some community resources to assist him in his disability. Just, you know, if I'm concerned about, gee, you know, he's wearing, using a cane, he's got a back brace, he's not able to, you know, is it really fear that's coming up for you? Or is it just reasoned and reasonable concern for the circumstance and for what you're obligating yourself to? Give a thought. Hi, sorry. I touched my ear, and I have a hearing aid, and it hung up. I got everything. I got out. Okay. I called right ah, back okay. in, but I had to press one and alert Jeannie. But I didn't disappear okay. on purpose. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Um, yes, okay. the reason concern, I do think it's reason concern. I'm not terrified, but um, but I'll look. I'll think about that, too. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, it might be time uh, to just do some research for disability resources for someone in his position so that, you know, if it uh, goes to a level where it's not reasonable for you to be his caregiver or his shelter that he has access to. And the other, the other side of the, the coin that I hear in this interaction is... And, and maybe it's one of the reasons why a former wife, why brothers don't want anything to do with him, is that he keeps putting off the responsibility on everybody else. And there comes yeah. a point where if that's the game someone's playing, that it's reasonable to say, and I'm not willing for you to put responsibility for your life on me. Like, you need to step up to the plate. And... Uh, so there's where it, you know, and of course you have to determine what the line is. There's where enabling becomes yeah. a problem. It's not a gift. Support mm -hmm. is a gift. Uh, so you just have to ask the question, is this enabling that I'm allowing him to just let his life go? And is it time to make some demands of him, whether the demands are you need to get some, you know, disability support or you need to step up late and start to do some work and deal with what's going on with your body you know back pain best definition I've heard of yet comes from a medical doctor dr. John Sarno and it's unconscious rage yeah and uh, rage. you know it's like there's a lot the of gift that. to give him there yeah well yeah then it might be that. time to start to invite him to take responsibility you know you're still doing the Wednesday uh, support group right Right. Have you invited him to attend? I could. I, d I don't think he would. He's, you know, he, any kind of suggestion, there's a lot of resistance. <clears throat> I pretty much stay out of things because there's so much resistance. I certainly can invite him. Yeah, that would be very interesting well, it might be if you do that. Yeah, in the context of what you're saying, it might be time to make a demand. You know, he's making demands on you, which you're, you know, generously willing to fulfill. 
and it might be time to make a demand on him. And that is, I see you deteriorating, you're putting things off, you're not taking responsibility, and you need to do something. So here's something that I know can be of assistance to you, and I'm going to strongly request or maybe require that a condition of being here is that you start to pick up and do some work on yourself. I know you've mm. broached that subject with him before, but with if he if he's in a deteriorating condition physiologically, especially, yeah, uh, it might be reasonable to insist that he step up. I mean, I've watched people who are literally laid up with back pain that they can't get out of bed, and they start yeah. to do their work and they're up and bouncing around. So wow. you know, maybe. Uh, mm invite him to watch Sarno's video and and maybe calling him out on that might be a gift. And it's all, you know, it sounds like it's all a balancing act. Mhm. Yeah. All right. One more comment on something completely different. You were talking okay. about how you had this exercise of people looking into one another's eyes total strangers looking into one another's eyes. I was thinking that is not very different from looking at a newborn because you're not looking at someone with any history that you're aware of. You're seeing the person. And so that's sort of a wonderful way to get in. (laughs) Anyway, it just struck me that I could do that because I don't know them. Much harder with somebody I know or think right. I know. And, and in the experiments they did with this, I, if I remember correctly, and it's been a few years since I've read the research on there was a whole thing published on it. One of the arenas they did work in was between the Palestinians and the Jews, who certainly had a history. They weren't people who had a oh, personal yeah. history, but, but they certainly had yeah. a history that you know, mm-hmm. led to some pretty violent and vile actions, but when they brought them into this neutral place and just had them do this process of, you know, in essence, a love exchange, things changed and it led to a tremendous amount of healing. That's so good. So maybe, Boy. maybe uh, inviting and, him to do a love exchange with you. And I put those links oh. in yesterday's notes too there's uh four of them where they did different experiments okay gosh you know there's a lot of discomfort coming up in me with you suggesting i do that with michael whoa so let me just see if i can let me rephrase that and see if i got it right me extending the pure presence of my being to michael brings up resistance for me Mm-hmm. It certainly does. Yeah. Good rewording. I'd say you just uncovered some worksheets, young lady. I think so. I mean, all it requires of you is standing in a space of connectedness with the love that you are. Okay, what well, does he resonate in you that that would be something worthy of resisting? 
Oh boy. Total his total exposure. His total vulnerability. I don't want to look at it. His or yours? Well, it's easier to say it's his. Obviously, it's mine. Yes. Holy shit, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like someone living in that kind of poverty mindset resonates a part of you that it's time perhaps to open Yeah. Why don't you ask that other person onto the line now? <laughs> Are you trying to get out of this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote it down. I've got it in my head, but this is that's good. You don't mess well, around. Well, I'll hold the space. I'll hold the space that whatever it is that comes up inside of you when you think about being that intimate with him, that uh, you're willing and able to forgive it. Thanks. That's what's going to be needed. Well, we'll be holding the space. Thanks. All right. Well, anything else on your mind for today? No, I said go get. Or you think we've got enough going here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. We appreciate you. (laughs) Appreciate you too, Michael. Thanks. Okay, take care. Blessings. Bye-bye. Our next caller is Doug314. You're on the air. Hey, I'd like to invite you, Jeannie, to leave Susan unmuted. I want to start with a comment to her. And I want to say that, I want to say that, um, you know, when, when Michael, I think it's Michael that often says when you have, the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So, so I'm calling about my process, and and there was something that Susan said, and then kind of showed up a few places for me in the context of where I'm at, which is if she's feeling resentful or uncomfortable with the amount of service that they're giving to this man, um, maybe it's a good, it would be useful to look at the reason why they're doing it, and and I heard her say something about a downs an unwelcomed down syndrome child and then maybe this is an opportunity to make up for that and i it's just like i'm i'm becoming aware in my worksheet of how some of my and i'll go into that momentarily but my motivation for doing things for doing good for being a good person is to cover up you know, content in me that doesn't feel good about me and our guilt, you know, et cetera. And, and so if, if my offering is 
if you're doing something in the way of service because you're pure acting as love, you're a pure flow of Shakti, there's not going to be resentment. And you're not going to be off-center with how much service you offer. But if you're doing it out of some other non-being motivation, then that leaves you vulnerable to that. So that's the thought there. I don't know. Great. So I'm muted. Huh? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that, but... Michael said something and I said something. I just said, that is a great thought. I want to get to the place where I'm loving doing this. Yeah, I'm feeling... Yeah. Go ahead. It isn't there. It isn't there. It is... I, I see the need... And we have the space, but I haven't got the space in my heart, always. Sometimes I do. I go in and out. And I don't like the that, out. That, that it just adds to the, to the supposition that I offered you in my mind. It's like, okay, so if that's true, and if you're afraid to do a love exchange, and, you know, it's like, what, what why are you doing it then? Well, there are a lot of practical reasons why I'm doing why I'm doing it. But to actually open and do a love exchange, I go into a tailspin. Um, uh, I feel extremely vulnerable with the idea of doing that, and so that's what Michael suggested that I do some work on that. So, yeah. But you're right. You're right about what you said that was very good the love the love will bring up transparency to everything in you that's unlike love as well including a guilt driven reason for serving him or whatever else might be under there so 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 it's you know doing the love exchange will bring it up for him but it'll bring it up for you it you know yeah whatever's hidden that you're afraid of anyway. So. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. Well, go ahead and Thank read your you stuff because time is running okay. out. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Holding space for you, Susan. Next layer, next level. Whatever's in that file on functioning is love. Uh, it sounds like you're getting ready to uh, heal the next layer of it, so that's awesome. Great input, Doug. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's my own thing, you know, in a way. It's like I, I'm, I'm, we only have 10 minutes here, so maybe we'll, we'll see. But, you know, I, so much, so much comes up when I, when I get ready to talk about my stuff on this show. And I can see now that a big part of that is my, okay, so, so let me just try and put this in a practical order. I'm going through a lot of emotional content and I'm sitting with it, doing worksheets on it, feeling into it, and have been for a long time over this change in in my relationship with my primary love person in my life. And and I right. I just <laughs> yesterday I was just feeling this massive amounts of aloneness and and uh and I in my worksheet process, I could see that 
it took me a long time to get to the bottom of the emotion, and I, I don't even know if worthless is an emotion, but it's as close as word as I could get. And worthless, did you say? Yes, worthless. I'd offer that's a thought. Yet seemed to me to be. I couldn't get to. It certainly works from a worksheet, but I couldn't get to. I mean, is aloneness a thought too, or is that a feeling? feeling aloneness alone. would be a thought. Okay, so lonely maybe I need would to... be an emotion. Lonely. Okay, so I felt lonely yesterday, and. Uh, very strong emotion around that and I ended up putting worthless in the in 1B and it led me to do a worksheet on the subject 1C alone being alone and uh, since we don't have a lot of time the bottom line of it all is that I could see that underneath a whole lot of things for me is a sense of unworthiness and that a lot of my actions way more than I ever thought were coming forward because of an attempt to feel worthy and and that's why I had that hammer in my hand and had that comment for Susan because you know right. it's like right. it's like yeah I just see I don't really have a specific question here. My 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 desire in entering this is just to, to to because I always know that even though I don't want to talk about it, and even that, it's like like to to be vulnerable on the show. I usually do it pretty well, but it's like I feel like oh, if I bring all this out, people are going to think badly of me, and you know, it's like all of this ridiculous content that's in there. It's just. And everything that you said today in your in your intro, it's just so rich. You know, it's so rich in my experience of this is I'm an example of all that content. And um, so, so what goal did you cancel on that worksheet? I you canceled did? the goal on that worksheet. I have girlfriend Diane. Close, loving friends, and and a good relationship with my grandson. And, and mainly, it's you know, girlfriend. I have a, a good relationship with her um, because that's the underlying goal that I I I I, I got to for the thing that I want that is triggering all of this, you know, I have all this content underneath it. So my offering would be that what I'm hearing is that the goal that you, goals, plural, that you want to be canceling, being in step number three in the worksheet, is the goal to be valued to be yeah. worthy. This would be a separate one. To be cherished. Valued and worthy. You would put those as two different ones. 
valued, worthy, and cherished. Yes, valued, worthy, and cherished. I sure see that because that's that really, you know, that that's everything. Everything in this in this worksheet is about me doing things all my life to try and be what I was calling worthy, but but valued, valued, valued. I'm gonna write this down. Valued, uh, cherished, cherished, and worthy. And worthy, yeah. The other, this, the other um, shade of it that would produce still a different piece of the healing of this whole underlying complex would be I'll just breathe on that for a minute. Cherish is powerful. And, and you know, I, I, I was seeing out of this worksheet how, you know, I want to serve, I want to bless people, I wanted to bless her, I wanted to love her, always trying to do things for her. And, and in spite of all of that, you know, all of this loneliness, all of these emotions were brought forward in me because she, from my perspective, basically said, oh, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not what she wants. And, and that's, again... I could then see that I pursue relationships in an attempt to, to 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 get what you just said. Basically, I was saying worthy, but cherished, valued. You know, somebody to say, "Oh yeah, I like you. You're cool. You know, you're a good person, and I I love you." Um, I, I I I there's a stronger word than pursue. Desperate somewhere I wrote it in there. Desperately want. You know, I desperately desperately pursue and that was part of the thing that Diane was saying to me is that I can't be your happiness you know it's like I'm I'm uh wish I could find it but but anyway okay so I'm listening again so I take each of those as goals that you hold where you're the object in number 1c and canceling the need to value myself, to honor myself, to cherish myself, to perceive myself as valuable. We'll bring it home on another level. Okay, so so I'm the subject and I'm canceling goals. My goals on these worksheets are to be valued, right. to cherish, to be worthy. Separate goal on different worksheets. Yeah. Yeah. The first time we talked about it, to have others do that, and now to do the same series of worksheets on holding that space of valuing yourself, of cherishing yourself, of honoring yourself. And somewhere intuitively, the thought, the key thought, keeps coming in of trust that perhaps uh, another place that would produce some results would be trusting the creator. Is that if, if the, the object of attention on the worksheet in 1C were the creator, then trusting the creator would be another 
that would probably open some of the unconscious files that need to be opened and cleared out. So, so should I be having a goal of trusting the creator on that worksheet and yes. canceling that? Yes. Okay. That's exactly what I'm suggesting now. Okay. And as you clean that trust of the creator up, there's going to be a different connectedness that isn't a head connectedness to the creator, but a heart connectedness. Yeah, that's definitely where I want to get to. Um, 7A goal was feeling into Shakti expressed in joy, you know, just being that love and, and, and doing and being out of it instead of doing things to try and be worthy, cherished, and so forth. Right. And you know all that it takes, Doug, to deserve it all is just that the creator put the breath of life in you. That's all. You deserve it just because the creator saw you worthy to put the breath of life into Nothing else is required. All righty. Breathing with you, and the show is going to cut us off any second. But... Yep, it gave us an extra couple minutes. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Michael. Okay, my friend. You have a blessed one. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. Blessings. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.